morning, everybody, again. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about what we've been doing because I believe that this is really about the Word of God and I want to focus on, on that. There's plenty of time. Kath and I are back for good, sort of. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up with the news from Spain. Uh, just keep praying for Javier International Baptist Church, small church of expats on the Costa Blanca, that God will have his way, continue to build that work uh, as Kath and I have, have moved on. Anyway, this morning, uh, the teaching team have put together, a, not just this morning, but they've put together this uh, concept of the Love Without Limits series, and it's a great series so far, and I've had the privilege of listening to all the sermons, and I've, I've been in on, on a couple of them, and it's my pleasure to bring this morning's message, and it's uh, Love Without Limits, the kind of title is Bear With Me, and a subtitle was Forgiveness and patience. Are you good at patience? You know, if I ask, I'm not going to ask for shows of hands because I think most of us would say we're, we're patient some of the time, but sometimes, you know, I want patience, Lord, but I want it now. Um, you know, we, forgiveness, how good are you really at forgiveness? There are some things in life that are so easy to gloss over, to forgive, and other things. It almost seems like we just can't get over it. There seems to be a blockage. Why can we not minister forgiveness? We said, we sung this morning, all glory and honor, uh, I will give to you. But we sometimes forget that to give glory and honor to God, we have to do what he tells us. And we're going to see some of the instructions that God has given us, either directly or through, in particular, the Apostle Paul this morning. And if we choose not to follow what God tells us by instruction and command, then how can we, on the one hand, disobey him, and on the other hand, say, all glory and honor I'll give to you. If we want to honor God, we will do what he says. Uh, you'll understand why I'm being so kind of in your face about that. In terms of uh, the scriptures that were given together with the title and the theme, it was Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. Have you ever had that time in a relationship where you've really had to put up with someone? You know, dig deep, bite your tongue, bite your lip, suck it up, and just bear with the other person. Have you watched, who's watches Miranda, or who's watched Miranda, the comedy series? Yeah. Just, oh. Bear with, they're in the middle of a meaningful conversation. Bear with. Bear with. Bear with. Back. How irritating. <laughs> but that's on a very low level. There are other things uh, where we have to bear with people, and it's just really difficult. But God's instruction through Paul the Apostle, bear with one another, forgive one another. Again, bearing with may be easier than forgiving. The other scripture instruction was be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Uh, we know what it means to be kind, don't we? Do we? We know what it means to be compassionate. We know what it means to forgive. But are we always kind? Are we always compassionate? Do we always forgive? We, we struggle with God's instruction because it's hard. It's easy to understand the words and it's hard to put into practice. But to put it into a context, Paul actually gives us a bit more information 
is it bear with each other and forgive one another as the Lord forgive you. So we got no wiggle room. The Lord's forgiven us and we are to forgive as he forgave us. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. So if you want to know how to forgive, forgive as the Lord forgave. How do we know how the Lord forgave? Can you remember? If you're a Christian here this morning, I'm sure you can remember what it felt like and what it was like to be outside of the forgiveness of Christ because we had not come to him. The forgiveness was available, but we hadn't received it. And if you were like me, when you gave your life and your heart and your being to Christ, something changed. And all of a sudden you realized, even some people just say, well, just for a few days I had this sense of lightness. Just for a few weeks or a few months I knew that something had changed and I didn't quite know what. For me it was like a burden had been lifted from me and I felt like I was floating on a cloud for months. It was as if I couldn't do anything wrong, I couldn't say anything wrong. Then reality hit as I got into real life. I needed forgiveness. I needed salvation. And to gain my salvation and my forgiveness, Christ had to die. So bear with each other and forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. How far has God gone to forgive you? You can talk to me. What, to what extent has he gone? To give his only son to die on the cross. So what I want to do, I want to take those single sentence instructions, which are so easy to throw out, and put them in the context of the passage in which they're found. That's going to be the major part of this message this morning. The Colossians sentence, the Colossian, the Colossian instruction is found in Colossians 3 between verses 12 and 17. It's Wonderful passage. And therefore, as God's chosen people and dearly loved. We've got the reason straight away. Why should I bear with someone? Why should I be compassionate? Why should I forgive? Because I am God's chosen person. I'm holy and dearly loved. We are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So that gives us a basis for everything that's going to follow on. And then Chris did a good job last week of talking about clothing ourselves with humility. And we're going to see again, it's about doing something. It's about putting, taking something off and putting something on. Paul is saying, you know, you're God's children. You're holy, you're beloved. So clothe yourselves, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. There's, that's our passage this morning. If any of you uh, has a grievance against, oh, 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 have anybody got a grievance against someone else? You know, in churches, Kath and I have been involved in a number of churches over the time of our ministry, and in every single church, we've come across people who have a grievance against someone else that they just so. I don't know whether they just don't seem to be able to get over it or they don't want to get over it because as long as they hold on to the grievance, they hope that somehow the person they've got a grievance against will get their comeuppance. If I let go of the grievance, then maybe they'll be forgiven and maybe they'll get away with it. There's no getting away with sin. There's no getting away with wrongdoing in God's economy. But for some reason, people hold on to grievances because if they let go of that grievance, it's as if they're releasing the person from their responsibility. 
But it says, bear with one another, forgive one another as Christ forgave you. God does not hold my sin against me anymore because it was all placed on Christ on the cross. Christ dealt with my sin. I'm forgiven. I can leave it behind me because God has set me free. We find it difficult to set others free because we don't want them to be free because they've hurt us, because they've injured us. That's usually the reason people don't get over their grievances. But then Paul says, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I'll come back to that verse in a moment. But he goes on, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Again, if I ask for a show of hands, who among you wants peace? I want peace. I long for peace. I need peace. The world needs peace. But we're told, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, since as members of one body we were called to peace. We were called to peace. And then he says, be thankful and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus? I want to suggest to you that what Paul's saying is, I want you to live as holy, dearly loved children of God and as Christ's ambassadors and representatives. So when you do something in the name of Jesus, you're doing it as his ambassador, as his representative. In other words, Paul is saying, people are watching you. The world is going to judge the church by the way the church behaves. Do you think that's true? The, the, world, the world won't judge the church according to the way that we mostly are. Because actually we're mostly a pretty reasonable bunch of people. What sticks in the throat of the world is where Christians are at each other's throats. They're, bear, they're not letting go of their grievances. They're not forgiving. They're not bearing with one another. But you'll sometimes hear non, uh, not yet Christians saying, well, I don't want to be like that lot down the road. You should hear what they say about each other. You should see what goes on. We're not very, we, we, we sometimes present a caricature of Christ. Because there are no grievances in this place, I understand that. There's no difficulties with forgiveness in this place. There's no struggles with issues in this place that cause you really to have to do some soul searching. I know that. This place is perfect, isn't it? It begins with a pastor. You say, have a perfect pastor. The church must be perfect. <laughs> Going back to verse 14, Paul actually says, over all these virtues put on love. What virtues were there? Just to remind you, of the virtues that Paul is talking about in this particular passage. It's compassion. This is in no particular order. Compassion and patience. You know what compassion is, don't you? And you know what patience is. Well, be compassionate and be patient. It's a command. Kindness and tolerance. You know what kindness is, don't you? Very quiet. <laughs> you know what tolerance is. Well, be kind and be tolerant. Humility, you know what humility is? Chris talked about it last week, so if you don't know what humility is, go and listen to the sermon. <laughs> forgiveness, you know what forgiveness is? Well, forgive. And gentleness, I don't like the word gentleness because almost in every translation of the Bible, this word gentleness is not what that word actually is in the original. In the original, it is actually meekness. But we don't like the word meekness because especially us blokes, who wants to be called, well, that that uh, Steve Holt, he's really meek. Tim Holton's really meek. Poor Rogers, he's so meek. Well, we're in good company because Jesus was meek. 
And Moses was meek, but for some reason we think meek equals weak. But meek is actually strength under control. It's love. It's, it's self-giving. It's not weakness. It's actually being able to be obedient under the control of a master. The Greek war horses, I think I shared this years and years ago. Some of you will remember it, I hope. But the Greek war horses was what were once described as being the meekest horses in the world. For you could build a fire under them and they would not move until the master said walk. That's meekness. And when we are meek towards God, we'll do what he says until he says stop. Or we won't start to do something until he says begin. So these are the virtues that Paul's talking about. And all of these are being covered in this series, Love Without Limits, because I don't believe that you can actually love without limits unless you're able to understand what's going on here. These are all aspects of what it ought to look like in a Christian's life, because our life should be a reflection of the master's life. And God has taken us and he's saved us and he's transforming us into the image of his son. These things are what Jesus looks like. That word tolerance there, just for your information, is bear with one another. The Passion Translation said, be tolerant towards one another's weaknesses. Again, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because you'd be a liar if you didn't put your hand up. Who's got weaknesses in this place? I have weaknesses, we all have weaknesses, but we all have strengths as well. But I wonder if we can tolerate one another's weaknesses, because usually when I get up somebody's nose, it's because it's in an area of the weakness in my life, and they're not able to tolerate my weaknesses. And if somebody gets up my nose, I need to remember that actual fact, the way that whatever's happening is probably down to the fact that this is a weakness in, in the area of that, in, in a certain area of that person's life. And I have to not just put up with it by the skin of my teeth, but actually tolerate not just tolerate oh well i'll put up with it but actually no i've got to see this person's got weaknesses i've got weaknesses they are strong where i am weak i am strong where they are weak. together we make a strong team marriages oh, tolerance do you think tolerance is necessary in marriage i'm gonna ask ali stop picking on me no you're, you're right in front of me mate you're, you're right in front of me that's why I don't pick on him, because he's a great guy. <laughs> so Paul says, bear with each other and forgive one another. That's the first instruction. The second instruction says, hey, moving on, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Again, we've got this idea of forgiveness, but be kind and compassionate to one another. Why? Well, because God in Christ forgave you. So again, let's put this into context. Why is Paul saying this? And he said in the beginning of Ephesians 4, I, and incidentally, this is the whole of Ephesians 4 kind of microscoped into just a few lines here. It, it, is, an, it is a precede version for the purposes of this message. So I suggest you read Ephesians 4. It's a great chapter. But to get the feel of what Paul's saying, he said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. <clears throat> so why should we be kind? Why should we be compassionate? Why should we bear with one another? Why should we forgive one another? Because we've received a calling upon our lives. Who's the calling from? God. What did God do to forgive us? Gave his only son to die on a cross for us, to pay the price for our sin. We've received a calling 
to God. We've received a calling out of the world and the world's way. Remember Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're called to a transformation. So Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. You've received the calling, so live like it. Be Christ's ambassadors. Be Christ's representatives in a world that needs to see Christ in action. And the only way they're going to see Christ in action is through you and through me. Be completely humble and gentle. There we go, gentle again. Be completely humble and meek. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to, well, before I go on, I wish I could read your minds where you are now because some of you will be saying, well, if you knew what I've got to put up with, you'd know that's easier said than done. <laughs> be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Because there's, the, there's that word again, bearing with one another in love. But how do you do that? How do you do these things? You know, Steve Hall, it's okay to preach this and it's okay to tell us what we're going to do, but now you've got to tell us how to do it. No, I'm not going to. Why? Because the Bible doesn't tell us how. Because I think the Bible says pretty clearly by implication at least. You know what these things mean. You know what patience means. So be patient. You say, well, if you knew what I had to put up with, you wouldn't. Listen, Jesus was patient. What did he have to put up with? How was he as patient as he was while he was walking in the flesh of humanity? What power did he have? Speak to me. The Holy Spirit. Hey, hold on. If you belong to Christ, is the Holy Spirit part of your life? Are you indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Is that a different Holy Spirit to the one which indwelt Christ? So do you have the same resources as Christ had to be patient? Christ was so patient that even on the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's quite a challenge. I find that, you might not, but I find that a real challenge. I don't have any wiggle room. I don't have any reason. I can't argue away these instructions. Paul goes on, he said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We're not saved through works. And sometimes because, well, you know, we're not saved through works, so that doesn't mean I've got to work at my faith. No, we're not saved by works. That's true, we're saved by grace. But that doesn't mean the Christian life comes without effort. And time and time again, you'll find that both Paul and Peter, the apostle, said, make every effort. In other words, work very hard at this. I thought I was saved by grace. You are saved by grace, but it doesn't mean you haven't got to work. You're not working for your salvation you're working because it's blooming hard work being a Christian. You know, some non when I was a street pastor, quite often they said, well, you're only a Christian because it just makes life easy for you. What? What? I hope God saves you. That'll teach you a lesson. <laughs> you must no longer live like those who don't know Jesus. You've been taught to put off your old self. There's that putting off, putting off the old self. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So take off your old self. You need to be made new in the attitude of your minds. That's not automatic. Do you think that's automatic? Do you think your mind is just changed by God? Or do you think you have a responsibility? I, you know, in years and years of dealing with people, and probably all the years I deal with myself, I know that I have to make every effort to make sure that my mind is functioning properly. 
Some of the thoughts that come into my mind shouldn't ought to be there. Some of the attitudes I've developed because my thinking is stinking. I exercise stinking thinking sometimes and I have to take control of my thoughts. Now, it's not to say the Holy Spirit is not there helping me and, and encouraging me. Yes, he is, but it's still my responsibility. But when those thoughts, I think it, it's the same story. You say, you know, you can't, you can't stop birds flying over your head, but you can stop them nesting in your hair if you've got any, Mark. <laughs> you know, I, we excuse ourselves of far too much. We're told to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So if we just look at that, as in we, we need to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. And then all these instructions, be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Don't live like those who don't know Jesus. Put off your old self. Uh, re, be renewed in the attitude of your mind. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness. That's all the basis on which Paul's instruction Sits, Paul's instruction, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. That's our instruction. So the instructions are easy, but we then just take them out of the passages that they're found in, because the passages they're found in tell us why we need to bear with each other, why we need to forgive each other, why we need to be kind and compassionate. And something ties them together because in Colossians 3.13 we're told over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. In the, in the Ephesians passage they bear with one another in love. What's the common denominator? Love. And love is such a crazy word because love is, oh, love. You know, Christians say, well, if you loved me, you know, love, it, it just a, it's almost like an emotional it's an emotional response to something, love, isn't it? Well, let's look what Jesus says, because we need to ground love in what Jesus teaches so we can become more like him, so we can bear with one another and we can forgive one another. Jesus said, a new command I give you. Now, notice he doesn't say, now, this is a good suggestion. He said, it's a new command I give you. Love one another as I loved you, so you must love one another. A new command I give you. Guys, I'm not suggesting this. I'm telling you, this is a command. You've got to love one another. Well, can you tell someone they've got to love someone? Actually, yes, you can. If you understand what love truly is. Jesus says, love one another. If you want to know what love one another means, look at me. Because I want you to love one another in the same way as I have loved you. So you want to see how to love See how I loved you. And incidentally, guys, this is a command, not a suggestion, so you must love one another. This is how you must love one another. Oh, Jesus, do you know how difficult this is? But Jesus says, love those, love your enemy. You know, you said it, love your friends, but I say, love your enemy. Oh, how easy is that? It's not. If you don't understand what love is. In verse 35, Jesus actually puts, a, I think, a, a bigger point on the, on the issue. He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you want to rephrase that, you could say, by this, all men will know that you are church. Do you agree with that? My disciples equals my church. My followers equals my church. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. 
Well, I thought you'd be able to recognize disciples by how hard they work in the community. Well, yeah, that's part of it. That's great. But I take it to Revelation, where it talks to the church at Ephesus. I think my last sermon I ever preached here years ago was where I was talk, looking at Revelation, looking at, at, at the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus, Jesus spoke to the church in Ephesus. He said, you are doing great. He said, you are planting churches everywhere. You're, you're recognizing false apostles. You're working, like, you're working like crazy for the kingdom. And you're doing marvelous things. But, and you know, you read that and you go, whoa, what a brilliant church this is. And then he said, but you've left your first love. And then he says, amazingly, for all the good you've done, you've left your first love. And if you don't put that right, I'm going to come and I'm going to snuff your light out. So, but Jesus, we're working so hard for you. We're doing so much. We're doing great things. And I guess if we were to say that to Jesus this morning, he'd say, well, look at what my, my, uh, my son Paul said. In 1 Corinthians 13, I can fathom all mysteries. I can speak in the tongues of men, of angels. I can work miracles. I can offer my body to be burned. I'm, you know, I'm sacrificing myself for you, Jesus. But then Paul says, but if I have not love, I have nothing. And he says, it's not just I have nothing, I am nothing. So what priority do you think that God puts on love? And this love is not an easy ozy feeling. I'm not picking on you again, Paul. But when my brother preached, I spotted the fact that he's quite right. He said, you know, the early church had all things in common because they loved each other. And I think he said something effective. We've all got cars. We've all got lawnmowers. So why do we all need to have one car and one lawnmower? You know, if we love each other enough, we'll share that. And that's true. But that's not really love. That's kind of fellowship. And it's going along together. But if we define love like that, then if I don't lend you my lawnmower, you say, well, you don't love me very much. No, love is when the chips are down. When I do something that really, really upsets you, I would not, I can guarantee, see, what's like in a marriage, you know, because I've never upset Kath much. But, but I don't get up in the morning. <laughs> Why? She just sighed and gone. <laughs> I don't get up in the morning and say, right now, I've got to think of ways to upset Kath. got to find ways to upset the pastor today we don't do that but because of attitudes and ways of thinking and life situations I can end up hurting people doing careless things you can do that with me and if I get so miffed with you that I'm bent out of joint and I'm dealing with unforgiveness in my heart then that's when love has to kick in because love is not about just Loving, the, you know, Jesus himself said, if everybody loves their friends, love your enemies. That's, that's the hard part. Love people when they really get up your nose, when they really get on your nerves. That's when love kicks in. I think that's when love really kicks in. It is easy to get on with those who are like you and who, who love you. And, but actually, for those who really dislike you, for those of you who make it known that you're not their favorite cup of tea, that's when love has to kick in. All men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Let's just continue. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Let's think about that word, love. Love. Eros. Where we get our word erotic from. Erotic automatically equals sex in the 21st century. Actually, eros 
doesn't, it's got nothing to do with sex. It's to do with selfishness. I love how you make me feel, darling. I love you because you make me feel good. Storge, I love you because you need me. That's kind of parental love. It's a mum's love for a child. And sometimes it is when a person really needs you and you have a need to be needed. You really like that person because they need you because you have a need to be needed. Mania or mania, we would pronounce it. Stalker love, obsession. Well, that ain't love at all, is it? People say, well, I love her. That's why I stalk her. Mm. Philia. I love what we share together. This is called brotherly. This is where brotherly love comes in. I love you because, you know, you're like me and you scratch my back, I scratch yours. So I love what we share together. But look at that. I love how you make me feel. I love you because you need me. You fulfill my needs. So I feel good around you. Stalk, I love it. Feels good to think that this person might be within my reach. Philia, I love, I love what we share together because that makes me feel good. All of these things are not really love in the way that, the New Testament passages that we read speak about love. Agape, this last one here, I choose to love you no matter what. Look at the words there. I've chosen them. I've chosen them. I've chosen them deliberately. I choose to love you no matter what. Which, which of those types of love do you think Jesus is talking about when he said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. I choose to love you no matter what. I make a conscious decision to love you no matter what. While we were still sinners, God sent his only son. While we were God's enemies, God sent his only son. I choose to love you no matter what. So how much do feelings come into this? How much do feelings come into I choose to love you no matter what? You're very quiet. Do feelings come into that kind of love? Agape love. I choose to love you no matter what. I choose to love you when you don't make me feel good. I choose to love you even when you don't need me. I'm going to ignore money. I choose to love you even when it seems like we've got nothing in common. That's not the basis for love. The basis for love is that no matter what, God's call upon my life is I'm called to love you even to an enemy. So feelings don't come into it. So I'm going to suggest to you that love is an act of the will. Do you think? Paul was saying, premarital counseling, at an altar on a wedding day, to love, honor, and obey, maybe that's gone out the window, but it's still, I will love you in sickness and health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, Till death do us part. Yeah? Sickness and health, richer for poorer, better for worse, till death do us part. What kind of love are we talking about there? A lot of marriages take place where the couple are the couple they're talking because they're still on cloud nine. They still have teeth marks around their hearts. They're still so in love. Life is still a bed of roses. They haven't had their real first nasty bust up. Maybe Kath and I are the only ones who've ever had something like that. But, but the first thing, you say something and you hurt someone. Or they say something to you and you are hurt. And you've got to not just get over it, but you've got to work through that. You've got to tunnel through and you've got to 
commit yourself to that relationship because actual fact, all of the other kinds of love are going to run out. Sooner or later, they're going to be so challenged that the only thing you've got at some point in every marriage, I believe, that it gets to the point where the only thing you've got is I choose to love you no matter what. I love you. So love is an act of the will. So bear with each other and forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ forgave you. And I don't know whether, I can't remember where this quote came from, but this is what it says. Two more quotes. Patience, forbearing, forgiving. This kind of love presumes irritation, frustration, disappointment, and offense. It's committed for the long haul, working to resolve conflicts. It absorbs relational pain, keeps moving towards the other person. It's the opposite of writing people off, paying them back, freezing them out, etc. This is Jesus' kind of love. What do you think about that? Can you go along with that? Anybody ever watch Grey's Anatomy? Put your hand up. What do you think of it? It's a good series. Dr. Meredith Grey, that great theologian, said this. Love has boundaries. We know this. We knock them down, we build them back up, then knock them down again. But does it have to be that way? Can't we learn? Can't we be brave? Can't we believe? Because maybe that's all we need, a little courage, a little hope, a little belief. Maybe there are no boundaries if we choose not to see them. Maybe love is unlimited if we're just brave enough to decide that love is limitless. So I don't know whether you got your series title from this, but I think that's a great quote, and it's not on a Christian basis. But if we're brave enough to decide love is limitless, how can you decide love is limitless? limitless? Because I'm going to love you no matter what. Because that's the kind of love God loves me with, and that's the kind of love I'm called to. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. That's your lot. How do you love? And you say, hang on, you're talking about bearing with me, you're talking about forgiving, you're you're talking about having patience. Well, (laughs) patience and forgiveness don't just come in a vacuum. Bearing with other people don't just come in a vacuum. It's got to be in the context of our faith. And our faith is built in the context of love. The love of God for a fallen and a broken and a lost world. And the only way to save that fallen, broken, lost world of people was to send his only begotten son to die on a cross that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. And we were not lovely. And we were not kind. We were not compassionate. We were worldly. We were sinful. And God says, yes, I know all of that, but I've washed that away in the blood of my son so that you in receiving him can come into everlasting life because his death, his blood is the entrance that you have into my presence because your sin, that which separates you from me is washed away. So now you can come into my presence and you don't have to hang your head in shame. Nothing you've done can keep you away from me because all of the consequences and the muck and the filth of all of that that would keep you apart from me were placed on Jesus. He's soaked all of that up. He's done away with it. Now you are forgiven. 
Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so very much that you have forgiven me for my sin. I thank you that you've forgiven a world of people who were, were lost in sin. But Lord, right now I'm just so thrilled and, and grateful that you gave your son for me that had nobody else sinned. That it would have been for me. But Lord, I think all of us here can acknowledge that we have sinned and fallen short of your glory. So we too are in need of that forgiveness. And I thank you, Lord, that you remind us of that and you tell us to remind ourselves of that every time we share this table together. I thank you for the fact that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took that bread of the Passover meal and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body and it's given for you. I want you to remember this by, when you meet together, take this bread and remember it represents my body and take it and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. I thank you, Lord, on that night he took the Passover cup and he gave it new meaning when he said, this wine represents my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you. Take this. Every one of you, take this and drink it. Do this in remembrance of me. So whenever you take this bread and whenever you drink this wine, you remember the Lord's death until he comes again because the Lord's death is what reminds us about the bearing with one another as Christ bore with us as he forgave us and he dealt with us in patience and in love and in kindness as he sacrificed his life on the cross for you and for me. That's what it cost him. And Jesus says, I want you to love one another and I want you to love one another like this. What better time to remember that than around the communion table? Is there somebody in your life that you really need to be sacrificing yourself for right now? Laying down your life for right now. Someone who's upset you so much, somebody who's made you so angry that all you want to do is lash out or make sure they get their comeuppance, make sure that they get what they deserve. And I think Jesus, by the Spirit, would say to you, you be careful before you invite someone to get what they deserve because if you want them to get what they deserve, maybe you need to get what you deserve. And if we're honest and the Spirit was to say to you right now, what do you deserve? And I, in all honesty, would have to say, Lord, if I got what I deserve, apart from you, it would be judgment. It would actually be hell. It would be eternal separation from you. And I don't want that. So as Christ loved me, I'm to love others. So I want to invite you consciously and prayerfully as these elements are distributed, have you had the bread and the wine? I ask you to think, is there anybody, or who is it maybe, who really sticks in my throat, who's been a thorn in my flesh? But I want to love them as Jesus loved me. And as I take the bread and take the wine, I claim 
forgiveness for them in the same way I claim forgiveness for myself. May they come to the place where they claim forgiveness for themselves. 